Hey, heroes. Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers. Those folks are the ones that are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking when it comes to the latest and greatest must-have technology tools, a people-first leadership approach, and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to our premier sponsor, NGA, Next Generation Advanced. With reliable cloud-based end-to-end NG91 solutions, I am wicked confident that they can fulfill your needs when it comes to next-gen core services, call handling, data analytics, and much more. Oh, and did I mention it's affordable and customizable? Make sure you visit our friends at www.nga911.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Welcome, heroes. Uh, I'm wicked excited for my guest today, Steve Powers from Hashtag Buddy Check, but that's not where you began your career. So first, I just want to say welcome, Steve. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, I have a feeling like this conversation is going to be a good one, as usual, because uh, you're going to share a ton of really helpful information for our folks. But first, how are you? I'm doing fine, Tracy. Thank you for the invite. Most importantly, I, I appreciate the the platform to be able to speak. And I really appreciate you asking me to come on and uh, taking your time to also speak with me. So thank you. Yeah. So we, our paths crossed on social media somewhere, yes, I, I, you know, I think that's the only way that I can describe it. If if I had a, to, to determine where and when I met all of the folks that have crossed my path that are doing amazing things, I don't think I could do it, but I just know that social media for me has been um, a, a blessing and sometimes a curse, but, but more often a, a blessing because that's where I live the majority of the time. I joke that I get paid to be on social media. (laughs) Well, I I definitely see that and I agree. Um, Yes, it could be a a blessing and a curse. However, I I think more positive things come out of it than negative. Absolutely. And there's a lot that came out of. So we talk about the COVID period, you know, 2020 and even still now we have some some stuff that's still brewing from it but you know I look back on when covid hit and and I was so devastated uh because that was about the time, well, COVID hit. And then about seven or eight months later, I decided to quit my perfectly good job at Rapid SOS and start my own company because that's what most people do in the middle of a pandemic. And well, uh, I was a little, I was a little taken back, uh, but I, I had to, I had to do this thing and, and it worked. So I'm super excited about that. But through that process and, and in our journey of, of similar, very different, but very similar journeys, uh, we cross paths and and I'm, I'm going to say it's because of what your mission is at hashtag buddy check. And we'll talk more about that later. But before we get there, why don't you tell my listeners kind of who you are, a little bit about yourself and and what does your what does your public safety history look like? How did you get here where we are today? Sure. Well, as you said, my name is Steve Powers. I'm originally from Maryland. I uh, shortly after graduating high school, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, that's sort of where I started to get exposed to some additional, we'll just call it trauma related matters, stuff. (laughs) Um, from there, the whole time growing up, I I wanted to be a police officer and I I knew college wasn't for me at the time. And obviously to become a law enforcement officer, you gotta be 21 to carry a handgun. So I had to figure out something to do with my sort of life. So I didn't end up in trouble. Oh, uh, because I, 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 I pro, you know, I probably would have ended up doing something stupid as, as most, you know, 17, 18, 19 year olds do. So I, I joined the service at 17. My mom had to sign the papers because I was under 18. So I went in the Marine Corps, getting out of the Marine Corps. I went to work for Charles County Sheriff's Department, and that's in Southern Maryland, just South of Washington, DC, that area, if okay. you're familiar. Um, I, I was working in the jail at the time, and in order to get on the road or out of the courthouse, it was a very small sheriff's department. It was 
sort of a, your typical, you know, my dad worked for the sheriff and all that good stuff. So you sort of had to wait till somebody either retired or passed away yep. to sort of move up to get out of the jail and out of the courthouse. So I started applying for some neighboring police departments, Prince George's County, Washington, D.C., Baltimore. And at the time I had an aunt that was living in Huntersville, North Carolina. And me and my wife would always come down and visit. And back then this would have been in 90, 98. 1998, give or take, Charlotte area w- was still somewhat of a a smaller, quote unquote, big town, Yeah, really not quite a city yet. So I, I got interested in the area that can't beat the weather. So I applied <laughs> um, while I was going through the background investigation, all that process found out that my middle daughter at the time was diagnosed with a somewhat rare brain disorder. So it sort of sidetracked everything for a little bit. Once we got our health situation and all that good stuff taken care of, I contacted Charlotte back, sort of picked up the process and I moved down here and Early 2000, I started with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department at that point and uh, served on various roles, patrol, community coordinator, the warrant service team. And the last three and a half years, I served on what they call the crisis response team, which was a co-responder model where we would respond to anybody in the community that was experiencing a, a crisis, whether that was mental health, whether that was addiction, uh, whether it was active suicide attempts, uh, completed suicides, family members, infant deaths, uh, started really getting exposed uh, to some trauma. And I, I wasn't really dealing with those in a, in a good way. Um, so I retired in November of 2021, a little earlier than I wanted to do this in mental health reasons. Okay. So as most know that listen to me, I left the profession or I want to say the job that I had at the time, um, not the profession that I love because of PTSD and mental health issues. And I'm a huge advocate uh, on speaking on it. But I, number one, thank you for your service in the military and what you did at in the police force. It's super important job. Uh, but number two, thank you for being vulnerable and open to speaking about mental health. There is such a stigma still today. It's getting better. I'm not I'm not going to lie. It, it is getting better. It, it's not even remote where we need to be. There's still folks that are that are not wanting to seek the help that they need. They're not happy with their lives. They're not happy with who they are, but they're not willing to do much about it. And that's why I share my story. And if and if one person gets help because of it, um, I think you probably feel the same way, I would assume. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I used to be one of those people, obviously, <laughs> who who was struggling. Me too. <laughs> who was was struggling again, off and on since a teenager. It, it obviously compounded a little bit more in, in my military service. I was exposed to numerous incidents while working in the jail and the sheriff's office. And then moving to Charlotte, it, it just seemed like one major incident after another. And, and I was dealing with it in a very unhealthy way. I, I was making very poor decisions. I was not the best father. I was not the best husband. I, I lost friendships due to sort of lashing out at people. Um, I wouldn't say I became an alcoholic, but I definitely found solace in, in coming home after hard shift, sitting in the garage by myself with my dogs, and I needed a drink or two in order to try to stay asleep. And I would do that sort of behind the scenes so my so my family didn't really, you know, see that, but they knew. Uh, they definitely knew that I was changing. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm, you know, you say it, we all say it, you know, when you do these jobs, whether it's a telecommunicator, firefighter, EMS, police officer, whatever, it changes. It, it absolutely does. And that's not always a bad thing, but the bad thing happens when it changes you and you do not, you don't realize that it's going to, you don't realize that it's happening. And then you just basically spiral down into yeah. those depths, you know, into the whole, whatever people metaphor they used. And, and I certainly found myself down in that hole. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, is a lot of folks don't even realize that the job has changed them in a negative way until stuff starts going sideways for them. Right. Like you said, making bad choices and losing people and getting into arguments with people. And and it's I I attended a mental health symposium on Friday. I was I was honored to be a speaker there um, through first responder coaching. And 
as one of the folks, actually, as two of the folks were talking, they were talking about having a drinking problem and and things like that. And and I do not consider myself an alcoholic. I I will have some drinks and I'll have a good time. But during COVID, I think I drank maybe four or five times. So I wouldn't say that I have a a drinking problem. But there were times that I had a problem drinking. And and I know that doesn't make sense for most, but there were times where I was not in a good place and I probably mm-hmm. shouldn't have drank and I wasn't my best self. And I didn't, you know, react how I should have to certain situations. And and I too lost friends, uh, not necessarily because of that, but because uh, a lot of folks didn't understand what was going on with me. And the ironic part was when I started sharing my story publicly, they started to realize like, oh, that that explains a lot. And and I got well, I didn't I didn't even know that was going on with you. And in my mind, it's like, how did you how did you not know something was wrong? I changed. I I didn't even like who I was. (laughs) Well, you know, and I don't consider myself an old timer or anything like that. But between 25 years of of being in law enforcement, four years of, of serving in the military, I sort of grew up. I was sort of mentored in the way of the old school way of doing things. You know, you you don't talk about those bad calls, rub some dirt in it, go shag the next one, do what you've yeah. got to do. Don't show any emotions. And if it was a hard shift, everybody got together and said, hey, after practice or after shift tonight, we're going to go out for choir practice. Yep. Yep. We would go have a few drinks to, to sort of unwind. And, you know, this is nothing, but I'm sure it probably still happens today. It sure does. Um, the dilemma is that is what I thought I needed to do to, to, I guess, sort of heal from those traumas that I was getting exposed to that I wasn't even really realizing. Right. The problem was that only compounded the issue. Um, you know, my, my wife and my family would say, you know, why didn't you come home after your shift right away? And it, it, it again, kind of like you said, I did not have a drinking problem, but there was problems that were caused because of drinking. I, right. I was I was doing it in excess at certain times. I was I was preaching to my kids at the time who were starting to get it to that age of teenagers that were, hey, don't drink kids, but don't look at dad because yeah. dad can. So I, I made a, a decision, you know, basically that point moving forward, I, I can't really tell my children don't do it if I'm going to do it and, and act a fool. So yeah. I, again, kind of like you said, I, I don't mind having a beer or two, eating some wings with the guys watching a football game or something, but nine times out of 10, I'd rather just have a, a Coke or something. But yeah, I, I realized that something was happening to me. Like you said, I didn't, it took me, whew, it probably took me six, seven, eight, nine years to wow. realize it. Wow. I, again, I'm a Marine. I'm not yeah. the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> I, I was, I was, uh, I was definitely in denial. Yeah. Um, even though it was brought to my attention from my wife, my my kids, friends at work, neighbors, family, my mom, my sisters, I was basically though in full blown out denial that anything was wrong with me and it was everybody else everybody what were, else what what were the things that folks were saying to you that you would shift the blame somewhere else i'm just curious cuz there's some folks listening that they may be exhibiting similar similar behaviors and maybe hearing similar things but they're like nope it's not me it's you and we do tend to put the blame on a lot of folks especially when we're victims of trauma and in different degrees but what were some of the things that folks were saying to you um where you were just like nope that that's not a me problem that's a you problem um stuff such you know i I would you know we used to always go to community cookouts or block parties or and people would say that i had become an asshole i don't know if i'm allowed to say that on here yeah you can you sure can you know i i started becoming an asshole i was being very cynical extremely jaded everything out of my mouth was was extremely negative in nature okay um i would minimize what i was seeing at work um you know if i had gone to an infant death or something i would poke fun at it and people were like that's not right you know right. you saw a saw a 6 month old you know that passed away because a dog mauled her and i would crack jokes at it and i know yeah. All first responders, and there's even non-first responders, veterans, whatever, that that have a dark sense of humor. But I was making jokes, making statements. Um, the behavior 
in me when I was interacting with people. I was starting to become very isolated. I would not want to go out with my family to to the mall or to a store or a movie theater. So, you know, that hypervigilance started kicking in even more than than before. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like going to restaurants because I was never able to get a good table and sit with my back to them. So it, it was a, a lot of things, a lot of little things, but mostly, like you said, I just straight up denied it. That's y'all's problem. I'm fine. Blah, blah, blah. But it took me a while to realize maybe there is something to this. Um, I, I, you know, I, I look back on it and I try to tell myself, I kind of wish I had done it differently. I wish I would have been more aware. I wish I would have been wiser. But I also think that the journey I went through and all the pain, um, you know, the attempts I made to end my life, I think that is what got me to where I am today. I, I used to be a very private person. I would never share any of my struggles with anybody. And, and, I was struggling very deeply a number of years ago, and I, I reached out to a good friend of mine, Brian, who's a police officer out in Lakewood, Washington, who also had experienced some very similar issues uh, when those Lakewood police officers were assassinated in that coffee shop. He he went down a, a very dark path, and it, it, it's funny that we give ourselves to everybody but ourselves. We we give, we give, we there. There's I always say there's givers and there's takers, and and I think most responders are givers. Yep. Um, you know, shirt off our backs, call me anytime. I'm here for you, brother. I love you. I got your six, all that good stuff, but we don't apply it to ourselves. So nope. even though I was struggling, even though I was in some dark depressions, I, I was able to help Brian yep. sort of work through it a- and still in denial for myself. Do you, do you know what I call that? I'd love to hear the term. I call that the carpenter whose house isn't finished. The plumber with a leaky faucet. Ah. The mechanic whose car keeps breaking down. Are any of those trademarked? Because I nope. may have to steal those from no, you, steal, No, steal them away. Because yes. think, ab- think about it. A carpenter's house. When you walk into a carpenter's house, like they'll post pictures on Facebook about this beautiful job that they did. And then you walk into their house and the trim's falling off. And, and you know, you, you know, am, am I not telling the truth? Like you, Literally, it, the, the <laughs> vision... The, the vision, the mental picture that I got as you were telling that story was extremely vivid. And I could literally picture what you were saying. The trim's not on yet, you know. Yeah. And I've been to people who are in, in those type of professions and stuff like that. And yeah. even though they have talent to, to do amazing things, they're not doing it to their own home or they're in various stages of those projects. And, and it's always baffled me, like. Dude, get your saw and your hammer and let's fix this real quick. Right, right. Um, no, nope, but I, I guess. Don't have to, and just think about that, right? Think about what you just said. Somebody's saying to you, let's get the saw and the hammer and fix this. And you're like, no, sorry, I don't have time to do that. And it's no different than those of us that are very aware about mental health and we're helping others. There is a difference. I, I will tell you that um, I am in a place where I am no longer the carpenter whose house isn't finished. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not saying that I, I never back slide or have issues. Back in March, I got some devastating news and it kind of sent me on a spiral. And then there was a series of unfortunate events. But for about four months, I was struggling, but I was communicating with my husband. I was going to my therapist. I was talking to my children. I was getting myself up every day. I was showering as much as I possibly could. (laughs) I don't want to, sometimes when you work at home, you don't, you don't shower every day, but whatever. But I, I wasn't going to put myself in that place because I could have very easily gone back and, and I get too much work to do. So thinking about, you know, those that are in that place where they're the carpenter whose house isn't finished, that you'll give so much to everybody else, but yet you failed to fix your own stuff. That is where we have to change it, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and it's, I don't want to say it's comical how you said a number of months ago, you, you fell backwards, but a number of years ago, I thought I had hit my rock bottom and and I did just enough. I had saw a therapist for just long enough to sort of scratch the surface and, and I was done. I started making excuses. I started canceling appointments. And again, I, I fell back into those depths, like you said, yeah. and it, it's hard, it, you know, and you said it best. You absolutely, you know, I call it speed bumps. You, you hit those speed bumps. Sometimes you go in reverse from time to time. And, and, but the things you pointed out are the things that I have now learned, you know, once I sort of hit my second rock bottom, 
as I like to call it, that no matter what's happening, as long as I'm working the steps, as I always say, yeah, um, kind of like it, it's not a 12 step program by any means, but I always call it working the steps. And, and when I'm speaking to somebody who's having a hard time or they're speaking to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm just working the steps. I'm communicating with my family, my wife. Mm-hmm. I'm reaching out to that inner close circle that, that I am 100% vulnerable with and they know everything. Um, because that is, that is huge because sometimes, you know, our spouses can only carry so much, Yes, you know, and and it is a, and and there are spouse, there are partners going through life. And and my wife has absolutely saved my life. Absolutely. There is no doubt. However, being that helper, you don't want to put too much on them. And you, you kind of sugarcoat it a little bit. You you take just enough off the sting so they don't have to carry that burden. And I learned this the hard way. In doing so, they fill that void in with their mind movies, with their imagination. Um, so what the problem is, is if you don't work those steps, if you don't get up every day and take a shower, unless you work at home, if, if you're not, you know, I, I was going to my therapist when I, when I fell back again. Um, I had to switch psychiatrists because the one I had was terrible and would make me feel like shit. And I always felt worse going than when I was done. So, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pause there because I had a conversation with somebody, and I do think that's really important that we touch on that. Is that every therapist is not the right therapist for you just because they claim to do what you think you need to do? I had to go through a few too until I got to a place, and it's okay. Like they're working for you. And and in one of my presentations the other day, I talked about the therapist therapist who was more like, oh, tell me more, tell me more. Like she was interested in the gossipy, you know, drama piece of it than giving me tools to kind of fix or or to help with it. So I, I really wanted to touch on that. And I think that's amazing that you advocated and, and got, you know, hopefully to the next person that that was going to help you. Absolutely. And you said, it. I, I call it a good pair of shoes. You, you may go to the place and try on a pair of shoes and they fit or they don't fit. Yep. And I, and I try to tell people, maybe two, three visits at most, if you're not feeling yourself click or you don't foresee later on, Hey, this is a person I can absolutely be vulnerable with. This is a person that, that does have, or appears to have some empathy and they're not hitting on those gossip. Well, tell me what you did. Have you ever pulled your gun out? Um, Because when you experience those bad calls and stuff, and you know, I know, you know, when you experience those bad calls and then somebody asks you to relive it, it, it's almost like becoming a victim all over again. And I I hate saying becoming a victim, but being re-exposed to that that trauma all over again. And then them not giving you the tools to, to sort of pack that up in a healthy yeah, way. Yeah. And then, and then you walk out and you're like, all right, I feel the same exact way I did the first time that, that I experienced this. And there was one that I had, and, it, and it's important that they get to know you for who you are. Now, a lot of my trauma comes from very aggressive, dominant, demanding personalities and the way that I had been treated, et cetera. And, and I said right out of the gate, like, I don't like conflict. I don't like fighting with people. And there were numerous occasions where she was like, well, I'm going to, you're going to need to stand up for yourself. And it's like, right. But that's part of the problem. I I can't. So, so let's find another way to like get around this. And she just didn't understand who I am as a person. I can't change who I am in that aspect, but you know, having the right therapist, the therapist that I have now, I've been going to her for almost four years. Um, I do my treatment EMDR, eye movement mm-hmm. desensitization reprocessing. That is the treatment that saved my life. She's amazing. She does that. She w- talks me through things. 90% of the time, she'll just give me little prompts. I may figure things out on my own, but she's leading the way for me to get to the conclusion myself instead and- of talking at me or putting me in positions or telling me to be in positions that are just not who I am and not comfortable. She's amazing. Well, and I think you said it best when you develop that relationship with whatever you're seeing, counselor, therapist, licensed clinical social worker, whoever, you know, whoever is helping you on that journey, their job is like you said earlier, is to work for us. You know, it, they work for us. And and I've had crappy therapists that I've made cry when, <laughs> when I try to be vulnerable. I've had ones tell me, don't bring your firearm in with you. In, and I've came straight from work and I'm in uniform. I've well, I can't one, leave it in the car. <laughs> I, I've had one that literally said, I'm going to need you to leave. I cannot help. You. So when you basically open yourself up and I'm not 
saying it's harder or easier for a man, but when you open yourself up as a type A personality, which most first responders are, that helper personality, and you finally are weak enough to to show, hey, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you some stuff that I'm struggling with. And then they tell you, I'm going to need you to leave. I can't help you. That ruins that relationship. And for a number of years, that kept me from ever going back. Yeah, that's um, another, that, and like you said, that's another victimization, trauma, traumatization. And, you know, just it, I just basically see you saying, well, that's why I didn't do this in the first place. So whoop, I'm just going to yeah, clam it, up again. We just I, I personally and I can only speak for myself, but I use that as validation that this is why you keep your mouth shut. Yeah. This is why you just stuff it down, stuff it down. It's fine. You've got big, broad shoulders. You're a big, bad Marine. You're a big, bad policeman. You stuff it down and be a man. And nothing could be further from the truth. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm sure everybody's heard, you're, you know, the pot's going to boil over when there's too much water in it, whatever analogy and metaphors that are out there. However, I would preach it to others, <laughs> but I was, again, I was that carpenter that could not apply that thinking, that rationale to myself. And, and what sucks is, until you officially quote unquote hit that rock bottom, you know, and, and only that individual can say, this is my official rock bottom. And until you get to that point and, and you make a decision that I'm tired of living this way, I'm tired of, of looking through a cloudy lens at my life. I need help. Then that healing can begin. That journey can begin. And it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not linear. Like you said earlier, pick up speed bumps, you know, uh, wrong way roads, uh, detours. It, it happens. However, again, just working the steps, knowing what works, finding those those people that you can be vulnerable with, like your therapist. I, I have been through a number as well. Um, and most importantly, you've got to have a support system and a support system that you are very willing to be 100 vulnerable. Well, and then, so I'm going to ask this question, where was the shift for you? When did you realize that there are folks out there that can be trusted? And what was the, where was the moment for you where you're like, I need to figure this out no matter what? Um, It was ooh, probably eight-ish years ago. I was sitting at my kitchen table with my firearm. And my wife came in and we started to have a discussion. And I think it was only through her, her, you know, people say empathy, but literally as I'm sitting here, I, I'm getting even emotional now thinking about it because of her empathy to just see me as a person, to see that I was hurting, not, not from a wife point of view, just person to person that I needed that help. It was only because of her basically telling me you have to get help. You know, this you're, you have to, and I would have probably even had tried to weasel out of it. Had she not stuck with me, pushed me, carried me at certain points, you know, through this journey. Um, it, it that was what I call my second rock bottom. And, and that was when I went to see my primary care, you know, took some tests to see, you know, I, I can't remember what it's called, that little depression test when you go to the doctors and you circle the numbers yeah. and whatever, something scale, whatever the numbers is, if you got a certain number, quote unquote, you're depressed. Yeah. Uh, I had hit that mark on the third question. Yeah. So there there was prop. Um, and, and that was the first step for me to go see a doctor. And I hadn't been to a physician in almost 20 years. I just didn't go. Yeah. I'm not the pillar of health, but well, I, I think, just, I think because you didn't want to get called out on your shenanigans. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> because you know, if it's one thing to tell your family, your friends, your coworkers, they're full of crap. But when you go to a professional or whatever to tell them you're full of crap or to dismiss their opinions it takes a little bit harder. So yeah, I absolutely, my, my classic was to avoid it. Yep. Don't, don't talk about it. Don't think about it which doesn't help and it's not possible. But when you do that, you're able to sort of still operate in that chaos because that's what we get used to. Yeah. Um, we, we get used to that chaotic lifestyle, you know, working, working extra shifts for money, you know, and then the real life outside of work, you know, you, you lose that identity. So then you no longer fit. Yep out here with the rest of the people, with the rest of the community, with the rest of your family, friends that are not first responders. So it basically was my wife. Again, my, my wife is 
I sort of joke and that I call her Jesus because she's like, Jesus. <laughs> she, she, she saw me at a time in my life as just a person who was hurting when she should have thought the exact opposite due to my behavior. Yep. She, sh- she should not have had any sympathy for me whatsoever, but yet she was able to. Well, and I, I have another phrase for that that you can take with you too. So my husband was the same. He and, and what my husband did for me is he helped me pick up the broken pieces that he had nothing to do with breaking. Ooh, I may have to write some of these down, Tracy, by the time we're done. <laughs> well, know. don't worry. This will be on a podcast. It'll be there forever. <laughs> and you, you can just snatch them. Because the way I look at it is whatever I say, whatever I do, for the most part, if you want to snatch it and put it towards your message, take it, take it. Um, Because as long as it's going to help somebody truly understand or appreciate what it it is that we're going through. So you, you, your wife supports you, Mm -hmm. you get to this place, you go to the doctor. And I, as I mentioned back in March, um, there was, it was probably about two months. And then I had my physical, it was already scheduled and it could, because you don't just go, Oh, I'm in a bad place. And, and I'm going to jump back on the get help for everything boss. It's all right. I'm going to see if I can get through this. I'm going to use some of my tools. And then it gets almost to a point where I know that I have the potential to go to a place of very challenging return, not no mm-hmm. return. Cause I know I've been there a few times and I've returned. So there's that. Yes, um, but when I walked into my practitioner's office and her first question, Hey, how are you? I said, not good. I'm not okay. And I don't want to stay here. And so I, I want to get back on my medication. I had come off my medication uh, for four years. I had been on it for about 10, but I came off it for four years and I was good and I was I was okay there. Uh, but I knew that for to get me over this hump, I had to go back on my antidepressant and anxiety sure. meds. And I think I'll be there forever. Uh, you know, in my mind, it's like, well, if this is helping me, why am I going to stop doing it on one side? So where did you go from the practitioner's office? Did you speak to somebody? And if yes, obviously you have, but was there any type of specialized treatment that you did where I mentioned EMDR, mm-hmm. did you do any type of specialized treatment such as that or, or anything oh, else that was helpful? Absolutely. I started to see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, because my practitioner realized you, you need some specialized assistance a little bit more than I can provide. Yep. Um, he basically put a Band-Aid over that bullet wound yep. <laughs> and, and sort of passed me off to, to the next level of care. So, yes, I mean, I, I've done all sorts, you know, CBT, DBT, talk therapy, EMDR, um, and, and all of it, all of it served its purpose at its time. Yep, I, yep. I am still in therapy today. I go to my therapist once a week, religiously, unless I'm on vacation. And we have a wonderful relationship where she will even text me or I will text her, hey, it's been a bad couple of days. Can we move up my appointment yep. or, or I'm doing good. Let's push it a couple more days. So like you were talking about your medicine that hit a little bit as well, because I tried to come off my meds. Mm-hmm. I was, I used to always joke and tease, which I continued that stigma. Oh, you're on depression meds. You're crazy. Yep. You know, Oh, you're on this. You're crazy. Um, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> no, you know, not at I, all. I, you know, I, I mean, I have type two diabetes. I take medicine to control my blood sugar. If I didn't, I'd probably die a little sooner than I should. It's no different. And, and it took me a number of years to be able to speak openly about that to people. Because again, I've been vulnerable at times. And when that door gets slammed, you get very cautious. At this point now, I I just jump in with both feet and it is what it is. I can only control what I do. I can only control what I feel. And if people want to say, hey, you're crazy because you're on a number of medications, that's on them, not me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, These things and and the strategies and the therapy and and the psychiatrists that I see on somewhat a regular basis, those are the folks in my quote unquote care team that are keeping me upright and are keeping me being able to shower on a daily basis, keeping me alive on a daily basis and, and hopefully trying to repair some of those relationships over the years that I've, I've fractured and, and crumbled a lot. And those, and those relationships may not be repairable and that's fine. As long as you make the attempt, number one, and number two, my response to anybody who thinks I'm crazy on meds, I'd be like, you should see me without them. Yeah. Now that, now and, that's crazy. You know, and same thing there. I have family members that 
are not as I, I hate using ignorant because it's got a, such a negative yeah. term, but, but I have friends and family that are ignorant to mental health. Yep. Um, so I, I, I've preached from the mountaintop. Hey, this is blah, 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 blah. And they just don't get it. All right, I, okay. got, I got, I got another phrase for you for that one. You ready? Yes, ma'am. Them not understanding the challenges with mental health. This isn't going to sound as harsh. They're, inability to understand mental health is an error of ignorance, not intention. Ooh. How about that? Okay. That's good too. It's, I'm gonna need it's it's not it's not calling them ignorant. Mm-hmm. It's an error of ignorance. They just they you don't understand. If you have not been here or if you don't admit that you're here, you just don't understand. Okay. I I, I can get behind that. The the <laughs> debater in me However, is when you sort of bare your soul to friends and coworkers that you've quote unquote spilled blood with, you sweated with, you've been in struggles for your life with, literally. Yep. And you sort of crack open that that shield, that armor, and say, "Hey, this is," and you explain it. I've never tried to necessarily change their opinion or thought, yep. but I've definitely tried to explain to them so they could understand my perspective. And sometimes that still falls on deaf ears and, and it does. you know, I, I'm okay with it now. That's obviously why I'm still seeing, you know, my portions of my healthcare team and all that good stuff. And they've helped me realize that I am only in control of myself. I'm only in control of my own feelings. I'm only in control of what I, you know, the circle of control, circle of influence and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, it, I'm not going to lie. It still hurts from time to time. Absolutely. You know, when, when you thought that these relationships that you were friends with was a certain degree or or a certain bond that really wasn't, you know, now you're getting me stressed now, not stressed. Now you're, now you're talking to a piece of my heart that is, that is still a bit fractured. Um, I, I've always been about, um, well, even more so now is, is that I would let rather let you know what's going on with me than let you down. So if I'm yeah. going to come up short in places, um, I'm going to verbalize that to you. And, and I've, I've done that over the last few years. And I had some folks that were super, super, super close. And I was very vulnerable with, um, who in just a moment turned around and beat feet. And it has taken a lot to understand that not everybody understands. And, yes. and if they've chosen to leave, um, that is 100% on them, not on me. And for every person that has walked away, there's 500 more that have stayed. So I have to put the energy and focus on those that stay versus those that walked away. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's a loss. It's, it's no different than a loss of something else. I mean, that loss of that relationship is a painful thing. That loss, you have to go through your stages of grief and processing and all that good stuff. And it, like you said, you think this relationship is your ride or die partner in crime. I'd give my life for, and then come to find out it really wasn't like that. Yep. But again, I, I've never caught in a question their thinking. It's always been mine. I yeah. must have put too much weight behind that relationship. Yeah. So yes, that that is it, it, it's yet just another portion of another pit stop or whatever you want to call it on the journey we'd like to call, you know, this, this health yeah. journey of, of getting ourselves right, which is a daily journey every day. You have to wake up and make that decision and make that effort. This is what I need to do today. And there's days where you just don't have it and that's okay. Again, like you pointed out, as long as you're communicating and working those steps, yep. um, but movement, I always say movement is key. No different than in, in a tactical sense, you know, yep. sometimes you have to tactically retreat to get better cover and concealment. Sometimes you got to move lateral. Sometimes you got to push forward. Um, I, I movement is always the key. You have to stay moving, which it can be incredibly difficult when yeah. you are in those depths of, of depression, when you're in those feelings that you see no joy in life, when, when you are literally contemplating ending your life, writing notes, thinking it out in head, you don't want to have anything in the house happen because then your family's gonna have to clean it up. So you're thinking about going outside or, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and I used to always preach, Hey, when you get down, reach out, I'm here. You know, I love you, brother. I got your six. So um, go ahead, finish that thought. And then I want to, I want to follow it up with something. And then we're going to kind of move into another place that I'd love to chat with you about. Awesome. But I found myself in that part where I could not reach out. So Ah, that's where I was going. Yes. All right. Keep going. Keep going. So I, so 
I always say, you know, reach out to people, you know, if you're struggling. And then I, I, it was brought to my attention through my own failure to be able to reach out that I now also tell people, you know, your people, it's all about, I use the term baseline relationship when they are above or below that baseline, there's a reason for it. You have to find out, don't take the fine word or I'm okay. Or, you know, all good in the hood. You need to also reach out to those people. And I, and I joke when I do present and talk to people, how many marriages, how many careers and how many lives could we have a direct effect on if we were to follow through with that reach out part? Because we all know we've had those people we've worked with that we know always spit shine boots, came to work early, was always prepared, was a great police officer. And then you started seeing him slip. And then you got the rumor that, oh, he's going through a hard time with his family. They're getting divorced and they're separated. And I can only speak to police officers. We are like a a bunch of little, don't yell at me, a bunch of little girls in a locker room at a, <laughs> at a junior high. We will talk crap about each other behind their back and then right to their face. I love you. I got your back. Yeah. Oh, they're in the sergeant's office again. Dumbass. Come out and then be like, oh, that sergeant's wrong. You're good. So when you know somebody's in that hole, when you know somebody is not at their baseline, you have to reach out. You have to. So when you said that, as soon as you said that, I was going to follow up with, I I've start, I started a hashtag a few years ago. Um, and a, a couple of folks know that I'm, I'm a huge advocate. And you say reach out as reach out if you're struggling, but also reach out if you know somebody's struggling. And I've changed that to reaching in. Hashtag yes. reach in. Yep. Because I know when there was a moment in my life, I had a method and a means. And I can certifiably tell you that in that moment, I had disassociated and I was not reaching out. I mm-hmm. had a thousand people that I could have reached out to, no problem whatsoever, but that is not what's going to happen when we are in the darkest of dark places. We are not reaching out. Um, it, it Maybe we will in this. It, so let me say, we may not reach out. Not that we won't, because when I was, I had a really, really, really bad day this summer and um, and I had drank and that was not the right thing to do. And, and I got to a very emotional place where my thoughts were going a hundred miles an hour. And I did reach out. I, I reached out to my friend, AK, who who's doing coaching and, and she was there for me and I will never forget her for that. Um, but we can't Mm -hmm. always do that. And so I had started, and this is going to lead us into your hashtag buddy check. We have to talk about that. Uh, but I started the Hey Hero campaign, um, where at the end of my podcasts and, uh, my presentations, I would always say, you know, Hey Hero, stay safe, stay strong, stay here. We need you. Well, there was a director in Texas that asked me if I had my Hey Hero um, phrase on anything and he'd like to give them to his telecommunicators. So I'm like, well, I have stickers mm-hmm. and um, I didn't have stickers. So if you're listening, you know who you are. And, and no, I didn't have stickers, but I did jump online and I, I bought a whole lot of stickers with them. But in true ADHD fashion, uh, I didn't look at the sizes and they came pretty small. So then I have 500 of these little yep. tiny stickers, um, but it was a blessing. And yes. that, that mistake was supposed to happen because now I hand those stickers out to first responders all over the country, unsuspecting first responders. If yes. I see a police officer or a firefighter or an EMT, or I actually, the, a dispatcher came up to me in the airport because she I had a dispatcher short on and I hand those stickers out every everywhere. And that is my way of reaching in. You just never know when you reach in, in that moment that you, you might've been the person that showed them in that moment that they matter and that they're worth something and they're needed and you might've changed their thought process. So absolutely, you are doing that with yes, ma'am. hashtag buddy check. So yes, ma'am. you could please share with me um, a little bit about that and, sure. and what you're doing with there. So again, we spoke a little early of the battle buddy, stole it from the army. Um, the hashtag buddy check became, you know, it, it's not anything that you need a master's level doctorate degree. It is literally what you said earlier. And it's something that I absolutely live to this day, whether it's every day, whether it's every other day, simply reaching out to somebody that you care about whether that's a coworker, whether that's a family member, whether that's a buddy, a neighbor, whatever, and just truly being there in the moment and asking them how they are. Yep. Like you said, you never know what that small bit of kindness can do. Even sending it like, so I'll send text messages. I'll send a little GIF. I'll send an emoji. I'll just send a random heart to somebody because it's that important. Yes, absolutely. And, and nobody really did that for me. Um, except my friend Brian, except my friend Brian. So 
I basically came to the thought that I have to pay it forward because if Brian didn't do it for me, I know beyond a shadow of doubt I wouldn't be. Yep. So similar to you with your stickers, I have bracelets, I have little poker chips that I give out. And when I'm I'm speaking to people about hashtag buddy check and all that good stuff, at the end of it, I give everybody a poker chip. And yep. on the back of that poker chip has the words all in. And then on the flip side, it's my little logo. On the all in part, I ask them to sign it, tic-tac-toe it, initial it, smiley face it, black it all. I don't care what they do with it. And I just ask that they go all in on something, whether that's being a better officer, whether that's being a better father, whether that's being a better human, whether that's on their mental health, whatever it is, go all in. And I always ask them, carry it on your, put it in your duty bag, put it in your cargo pocket of your uniform pants, put it in your breast pocket shirt, something. And when times are bad, you have that with you. you should, it's kind of like a worry stone, but I don't tell them this because then they'll think it's all tree hugger, hippie, <laughs> you know, peace, love, and happiness. I, I don't tell them sort of the, the, the stemming technique behind all of this yep. and all that. I just tell them, Hey, when things are bad, pull out that poker chip and just rub it, you know, or grab that bracelet and just look at it. And hopefully that is just enough to be that little bit to where you can hopefully be vulnerable because you've heard Steve talk about when I was vulnerable, I reached out to a friend. When I was vulnerable, I reached out to my wife. That may be that little bit you know, like you said the other day, you said you saw a dispatcher in the airport. Um, we've talked offline, but when you were in Kauai on some personal business, I was in Maui on some personal vacation time. And in the airport was a young Marine. And, and I saw him sitting by himself. He wasn't wearing any kind of Marine Corps clothing, but I looked at him, told my wife, that's got to be a Marine yep. haircut, just the way he was carrying himself. So I went over, introduced myself to him. Sure enough, he he was only been on the Marine Corps about a year. And I gave him a poker chip. I gave him a bracelet. I gave him my card you know, and told him, Hey, if you ever need something, you know, I know people say this, but when I say, yeah, if you ever need anything day or night, and I'm working on my boundaries with my therapist, I absolutely mean day or night, yep, same. weekday, weekend, I need you to call me yep. because when somebody called me, when I needed help, they were there. Um, and it wasn't the most convenient time. So that I always preach that to an extent as well. If you going to tell somebody you're going to be there. You damn well better be there. Yep. Because if again, they're ready to be vulnerable, they're ready to open themselves up and they reach out to you and you either shut them down or you don't answer. There's a chance that we've lost that person as yep. far as trying to help them bridge that crisis gap. Well, and there is, there are times that folks will text me and be like, Hey, can you chat? If I cannot chat in that moment, for whatever reason, I'm boarding a plane. I can't, I will get them somebody else to yes. chat with, or I'll yes. first ask, like, are you in crisis do you need mm -hmm. somebody to talk do you need me to get back to you right away because this is where i'm at i'm boarding a plane i'm speaking right now but yes. i will message you at, right after if you need somebody right now i'm gonna get you um but two things uh you i don't think folks well first of all number one i'm just gonna show you Here's my here's my buddy check reminder that's on my on my travel bag. Now this is a verbal podcast, but I yes. I'm on Zoom with with Steve right now, so I had to show him uh, the poker chip is in my it's it's in my uh, coin case over there. Um, but I would lose that, and I don't want to lose it. That's why it's attached to my bag. So that is fine. That is that. fine. You you know and, I'm always good for some swag. So if you yep. need more, let me know. Yep. And then um, there are times where I will, uh, and it's important and, and I'm not sharing this. And I think this is really, really important for us to share is I'm not sharing this for somebody to go, oh, good job, Tracy, you're making somebody's day. I share it because maybe you find something that you can hold on to that's going to help folks. Because I know whenever I help somebody or make somebody feel good, it makes me feel better about who I am and what I'm doing. And when I'm traveling, um, if I see you in a uniform, I am 100% going to give you a, a sticker. I'll always ask, may I hand you a sticker because yeah. they get a little nervous. <laughs> uh, but there's another place where I catch them and they, they don't know is when they have pre-boarding for active military. I watch you. Absolutely. Yep. I watch you. I see how you're dressed. And then when I walk past you on the plane, I hand you a sticker and I just keep on walking. Yep. And and again, you just never know when that message is something that somebody needs. So unfortunately, we get to wrap up soon. But okay. hashtag buddy check. You have Correct. a website, a Facebook I page. I have a Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, 
TikTok, which I'm not very active on. I have a web domain, but I'm not the sharpest tool in the toolbox. <laughs> so I'm still trying to effort how to put that all together. Yeah. But hashtag buddy check on Facebook, you spell out the word hashtag. hashtag yep. And then buddy check is one word. Same thing on Instagram, same thing on TikTok and same thing on Twitter. Yep. Um, and, and hashtag buddy checks mission is, is very simple to provide some proactive education, some proactive awareness around mental health that our first responders, veterans, active duty service members, and we touch on the spouses. Yep. Because as I spoke about earlier, my wife saw the change in me before anybody else did. Yep. And sometimes our spouses are those forgotten people. So when I do have the opportunity to present at a conference or, or what have you, I always recommend to those first responders, bring your spouse. Yep. Be because my wife is always there. My wife will speak to what she saw from her viewpoint, because I've never been in her shoes. So it's easier. It's kind of like a, a, an alcoholic going to an alcoholic or, or going to a mentor. You're not yep. going to go to somebody unless they have similar lived experiences. So my wife is able to speak from a spousal point of view and, and as a parent point of view of the person that is not struggling. Well, whatever. it so, sounds like your wife needs to get on my podcast. That's well, what I think needs to happen. <laughs> let me, I am 100% positive that my wife would absolutely do. Because again, she, she, she believes in the mission. She believes you know, and if we can, again, save a marriage, you know, save a life, save a career, it's all worth it. Because Absolutely. again, like you said, when she didn't break any of those pieces, she was able to sort of gather them up and she even carried them for me for a little bit because I couldn't. Yep. Um, and the spouse of, of first responders or family members, children, they are way too often the, the forgotten sort of community, this forgotten piece to this mental health. Absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you so much. This conversation, uh, while hard at times, um, I know that folks, you know, are are out there and hopefully they're hearing every word that you have to say and know that they're they're worth getting the help that they need because it sounds like you're in a much better place and you're sharing a mission that is extremely passionate to me and I appreciate you and your friendship. So thank you for joining me. Not a problem, Tracy. Again, thank you for having me and, and it takes a village. So, you know, just to let everybody know if there's anything I can do for them, please reach out and same thing for you personally, Tracy. You know, I'm here for you. Excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Welcome back, heroes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on all On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. And make sure you get to know our friends over at NGA Next Generation Advance. You can start by heading over to their social media and thanking them for being our premier sponsor. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.